Remix. Uh, Excuse me. Oh, that's lovely. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Woo! Yay! Yeah! <sighs> the crowd is magnificent. Um, I am Wendy, one of your co-hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my other co-host, Melissa. Law. Tonight is just the two of us and our usual bottle of alcohol. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so tonight we are going to talk about remakes. Yes. But before we begin, um, Melissa may clip it in from what was already recorded, but we are drinking some sort of Italian red. It is not actually named as a type of red. Yeah, it's a, it's an Italian red. Um, it is a Toscana, I believe, and it came from one of our Brian's. It did. It did. Mr. Donahue uh, brought us this lovely bottle at Convergence. He did. That yeah. was so nice. Yeah, and it's it's called Indue, I think. In, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's an I-N-D-U-E. And, and it, it and it translates to two together. So it's very sweet. It's very it's sweet. It's a togetherness message. Thank you, Brian. It's Thank lovely. You. It is. It's very delicious. Yes. I am enjoying it muchly. Mm. Mm. Wait, here, I'll show you. Yeah, that was delicious. Because <laughs> mouth noises sound so great on the radio. I don't know what you're talking about. That's just awesome. So, so yeah. let's so, get yeah. started. So, let's get started. So yeah. so so remakes. Uh, a lot of times when I see online people talking about remakes, it's people bitching about remakes. Like, everything today is a remake, or everything today is a sequel. Yeah. There are a lot of sequels, there are a lot of remakes, there are, there are quote-unquote no original ideas in Hollywood. Which is not true. It is not true. It can seem that way, especially in the summertime. Let us all be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, the, the thing I always like to say counter to that is that... There's nothing new about sequels. There's nothing... Oh, oh air raid. <laughs> you fuckers better get home. <laughs> That's your warning. That's your curfew warning. Get your asses indoor and open up a bottle of wine. Uh, uh, it's 9 o'clock, folks. It's 9 p.m. here in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Do you know where your wine glass is? I know where mine is. I know where mine is. Yay. Yay. So, yeah, so... Remakes. There, there's nothing new about remakes. There's nothing new about adaptations from other medium. Yeah, I mean, and, I we mean, are, the, okay. Let's define our terms. Yeah. For this episode, we are not going to talk about ad- adaptations from right. other mediums. We're not going to talk about TV shows that got turned into movies, or video games, or right. comic books, or any of those things. We're going to talk about movie to movie adaptations. Right. Uh, remakes. Pardon me. Because we have to put limits on ourselves somehow. Yeah. Because seriously, <laughs> yo. there's there's a lot. But yeah, I'm yeah. so street, yo. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> remakes remakes are old hat. I mean, from the earliest days of Hollywood. Well, yeah. You got adaptations and remakes, and everything was a stage play or a book or or another movie before. And they, and especially like from the silent era, once sound hit, everybody went, oh. We have to remake that classic silent film as a sound film. And then because when this color, time they can talk. Yeah, and then when color came along, they went, oh, let's remake that brilliant black and white movie as a color film. Yeah. And and so, you know, every generation, it just, the good stories just keep coming around again. And, yeah, there's, there's a, I think there are some inherent challenges in doing a decent remake, which is why most remakes are not all that great well but 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 it's not impossible to make a great remake the the version of the maltese falcon we know and love is a remake the classic wizard of oz is a remake yeah there's nothing saying that a remake can't surpass the original in well and there are and we'll get to it there are remakes on the list where i love them as much as the original for different reasons oh absolutely oh you know what we didn't put on there huh. we didn't put on the list old boy but oh, i have not seen the yeah, remake because that's not a movie i need to see again number one it is brilliant but it's a once in a lifetime movie and number two i all I heard was that it was bad, so I'm like, why would I sit through a really tough movie that I will also be annoyed at? Well, yeah, and the, the problem with the, the quote-unquote bad remakes is I, te- I tend to watch so many movies right now that I tend not to make time for things that I don't think will be worth my while. Yeah. And, you know, I do fully intend to watch the RoboCop remake because I like the director a lot, but I heard that it's not so hot, and I, I know the problems that were you know, plaguing that production that I've kind of been putting off seeing it. Yeah. Okay, to backtrack. The original Robocop is, of course, brilliant because it, yeah. it's, it's this amazing piece of really cynical 1980s filmmaking. Oh, it's so biting. Yeah, it, it fantastic satire, and, and it's fun. And it, and it embraced that near dystopia, like that yeah. dystopia that's right around the corner, and when you watch it, you recognize it's a dystopia, but you also recognize it's not that far away from where we are right now. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing about the remake is that it, the director at the helm was Jose Padilla, who was this Brazilian filmmaker who made this brilliant trilogy of films called the, the um, um, Bus 174 trilogy. So there's, the, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, the, the first movie is a documentary about a hostage situation in Rio de Janeiro, and then the next two movies are fictional films that are positively Scorsesean in their scope about crime and the corrupt police force in Rio. Ah. And all three of the movies are kind of about the situation of crime and the corrupt police force and the corrupt politicians that keep the whole cycle in place. Yeah. And they're amazing movies. Well, and 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 given that, you would think... This is the guy who yeah. could do RoboCop, do something interesting with Put it. Put this guy in Detroit in 2014, or 2013 as, as the case was. And wow, that could be really interesting. But as it turned out, the, the studio didn't support him. Yeah, and how much of that is always the case of like, well, you're making a remake, but don't make it too different. Right, and what, what it turns out they wanted the old RoboCop when really, when... I feel like when you make a remake, if it's something that is classic and beloved, 
you should take the ball and run with it. Yeah. Because if you just try to remake the original word for word, why are you even bothering? Okay, so let's start by breaking down our list then into those where you take a classic that is known and you remake it. So we're going to push aside for the moment remaking foreign films. Right, right, right. Okay, so... Yeah, well, I think actually the natural one we should talk about at the moment, given what I was just talking about, is Psycho. Psycho, yeah. Because literally, I think the thing to be learned from the remake of Psycho, the Gus Van Sant version, is that you can remake the original film frame by fucking frame, and it won't be the same thing. Well, how could it? You've leached it of its soul. You yeah. have you have followed so slavishly to the form that you have missed the content. Well, I think I think the most important thing, and Gus Van Sant's not a slouch of a, a filmmaker, but the I think the thing that hello kitty, uh, this is my cat Gizmo. Hello, she Gizmo. has opinions too. Yeah, uh, Gizmo apparently. Like, Gizmo has opinions about Gus Van Sant. Uh, <laughs> well, can you blame her? Well, honestly, seriously. But I, I think the thing that the remake of Psycho proved is that. It's it's not in the the rote recreation frame by frame of what's on the screen. It's what happens in between the frames. It you know it, and and that's a really vague thing to say. Well, but it's what I keep bitching about in terms of charisma and and yeah. you know that nebulous energy, that connection, that relationship on screen, right? Mm-hmm. And you can do it frame by frame, but if the actors aren't pulling it together. And how can they when they're being asked to be something else? Well, yeah, and it's you know what the what the original Psycho had that the remake did not have is like Anthony, Anthony Perkins, and it didn't have Janet Lee, and it didn't have Alfred Hitchcock. And, and well, but also think about this: every shot that was chosen was in the original Psycho was an organic result of Anthony Perkins acting. And Alfred Hitchcock shooting and whoever the editor was picking the best shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what ended up in the finished product. And then Gus Van Sant comes along years later and he says, okay, now I need you to tilt your head this way and kind of give this sort of reaction because that's what's in the original film. And it, yeah. how, how could you remotely do a good job if all you're trying to do is parrot from the outside? Yeah, pre- precisely. You Ugh. are you are posing dolls to imitate something from the past rather than taking new deliveries from new actors and tailoring w- the result around them. Yeah, I mean, if he had not been so tied to a shot-by-shot remake, he might have been able to make a, a very faithful remake that actually had something going on. But the way you said that, I'm like, I wonder... I feel like if Gus Van Sant had used finger puppets, he would have gotten better performances. And so now I am picturing Psycho. Ah, oh my psycho. god, I want that. I know! I want finger puppet Psycho. I want finger puppet... <laughs> oh, I'm gonna make finger puppet well, Psycho. Well, that's why I said it. I'm like, oh. you and Jerry should make finger puppet Psycho Swede. Yes! Yes! Yes, okay, so memo to self. Yeah, finger well, you're puppet gonna psycho. edit this and it'll come I back know, around. I know, finger, I know, finger, I will, I will. finger puppet Psycho I will. Swede. Wow, that's kind of hard to say. Finger puppet psycho Swede. <laughs> Finger puppet psycho Swede. <laughs> it's like, take your Taylor Soldier spy. Mm. This is really tasty. I really like it. Thank you, Brian. Brian, this is a lovely wine. Thank you. Okay, so Little Shop of Horrors. That's, yeah. 
That is... Yeah, that, the Little Shop mm. of Horrors has an interesting tack because well, it was originally a movie, a Roger Corman film. And then they made it into a stage play. Yeah. Stage musical. Stage musical, and then it came back around and became a film again. The original Little Shop of Horrors is a schlock fest, so... Well, yeah, is... well, it was it was filmed in two days. Yeah. Like, the, the total turnaround time of this movie was two days, and it has a weird charm despite how, how fast... They uh-huh. made this movie, and uh, also wasn't it the first screen appearance of Jack Nicholson? Yes, because he was the the victim of the dentist. Yes, yeah, he very very small bit part. Yeah, um, tiny, tiny. But tiny. if you pick up the movie now, he's f- featured prominently on the cover. Yeah, with Jack Nicholson for like a minute. Oh, what? it's not even a minute. Well, I mean, and we could get into like what makes these low budget films charming which sometimes is their their sheer simplicity and uh creativity and willingness to just you know solve it do it figure well, it out well also the original little shop of horrors i mean at the center it's a love story and it's very sweet and cute and and, and I, I think that's what held the original together even for as slapdash as the entire movie well, and was alien plants how yeah how, How awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, oh, oh, a plant is threatening me. Wait, the plant totally won. Um, yeah. And so maybe there's something to be said for starting with a property that is small and expanding it for starting with something that is simple or slight and finding the kernel of greatness therein. Yeah, or, or something that's completely imperfect, which is, I think, is the case with Ocean's Eleven. You know, I don't... <laughs> Wendy and I are in agreement that the original Ocean's Eleven isn't all that great. But... It's interminable unless you're... <laughs> Unless you Unless you're a rat pack fan. Like and but I mean like a rap a rabid rat pack fan and you've totally embraced the gestalt of rat packing rat packiness or rat pachyderms or We should something. drink it gestalt. 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 But yeah, it it, it it seems to me that if you're gonna remake something, you're not gonna wanna remake Casablanca because you will forever be compared to the original. Yeah. You know, get grab something that is unfamiliar or unfinished was in, in some finished way. or could could benefit from being updated you know or you could you find it's, an angle if you yeah. find an interesting angle to it that wasn't approached in the original material it's why fun not? but and it's that but that that opens the door for well what else could you do with it what what other stories are there what didn't get mentioned what could be fleshed out mm-hmm. and of course with little shop of horrors what they fleshed out was Awesome songs. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it's a musical and it's amazing. (laughs) Well, and it's a musical by arguably the 20th century's best lyricist. Yeah. One of the best makers of melody in the 20th century, the late 20th century. They were just brilliant. Um, And then there's Hairspray, which wasn't a musical, but it had a lot of music in it. And it was a really problematic property, the original film. Mm -hmm. I mean... It really is. I mean, because it's um, oh, blanking. John Waters. Thank you. Uh, because it's John Waters. There's a crudeness mm-hmm. that permeates it. That... He's a wonderfully filthy man. Yeah, he's very filthy, and, and but that... wonderfully so. Yeah, and it's enjoyable. I I love the original Hairspray, but there's a crudeness that gets completely whitewashed and glossed over when they again turned it into a stage musical and then made a movie of the stage musical mm-hmm. and then of course you have john travolta playing the role originally played by divine by right? divine yeah and the thing is boy that's interesting casting yeah but the thing is i miss 
the divine take on the role, even in mm-hmm. even in the new movie musical. But the character, the father, is played by Christopher Walken, and he's adorable, and so I can't get too upset. Plus, it also has Cyclops singing and dancing, and that's a happy, <laughs> happy thing because he's adorable and he's so talented. <laughs> I can't help it. Whenever he sings the nicest I, I feel, kids in town, I picture him like zapping them with his eye blast. Like pew, pew, the nicest kids in town. Pew, pew. So we need X-Men the musical, I think. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Well, you've got the doomed love triangle at the center. You've got the older wisdom. Ooh, a duet between Magneto and Professor X. Would be oh my God. In great. counterpoint. Yes. In counterpoint. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. There's a fringe musical yes. idea. Oh. X-Men the musical. Now that's an idea I could get behind. <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 or maybe we should do the avengers the musical and then chris could play tony stark <laughs> except i don't know that tony stark would be a high tenor so um, on the on the different tactics front we could talk about uh the fly the fly because uh those are two horror movies that are very different yes and the- i mean uh for as much as the remake grosses me out well it's meant to yeah it's still a really solid remake that stands on its own. And yeah. so I feel like, yeah, it's a remake, but it it stands right up there with the original. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a few of those that manage it. Like yeah. Either you take a crappy source material and you elevate it, right? Mm-hmm. But it, to take a classic, a sci-fi classic like The Fly and reimagine it like that and have the original and have it stand next to the original, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, and, and I think... I think it's interesting to compare them because they're both about the loss of self being slowly taken over by this science disease. And the original very much focuses on the human element, whereas the David Cronenberg one very much, it amps up both the love story and the the grossness of what's happening. I mean, the the first one wasn't able to really delve into the... The biological... The bio, the bio horror of it all. And, yeah. and then you give that property to Cronenberg and he goes straight for the slime, you know? Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the broken arm part is the one that bugs me. Well, that and the... For whatever reason, the... Um, laying on the microchip and getting it embedded in your back, that one freaks me out because that's like, that could happen at my house. <laughs> that could happen. For me, it's, like, it's the cabinet it. full of body parts. As, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, oddly enough, makes me think of the line from Beverly Hills Cop from Eddie Murphy where he's pretending to be gay and he's like, yes, I have herpes simplex 10 and I thought I'd tell him before parts start falling off at the man. <laughs> and then I flash to the fly where he's, parts are literally falling off and he's keeping them in the medicine cabinet like some but, cabinet of curiosities. But that's, uh, but that's, uh, I, I the think scientist that's, would totally the scientist would totally do that. I yeah, think, but it's I think still gross. I think there are a lot of things about the fly for as fast and loose as it plays with some parts of its science. It gets the scientist right. The scientist of, who would, who could not help but be fascinated by what was happening. To yeah. Him. And part of that is just the casting of Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Who's a crazy man. He's a crazy man, but he plays a good crazy scientist. Mm. But I, I think I think what really makes that the remake work is that the uh, relationship between Jeff Goldblum and was it Gina Davis? It was Gina Davis. It really works. Yeah. They have a they have nice chemistry together. There, there's some heat. There's yeah. some heat going on there. Yeah, and, and it makes 
makes it all the more tragic. Yeah, it, it gives you the pathos. Yeah. Right? Pathos, pathos, whatever. But it gives you that connection that is found right at the moment when the world starts falling apart. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that tragedy that we all, whether we've lived it or not, but we all instinctively feel of right at the moment where you can see your future having it snatched away from you. Right. 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 My future is with you. I will build a life with you. Oh, wait, you're a monster who throws up on people with acid. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps this is not the future I wanted. Oh, no. Oh, oh so dear. sad. Yeah, so that, sad. that's such a super gross part. And of course, the, the third part of that was the dude who was in the TV show where he played a cop married to his partner. And he was married to the woman who was like the Charlie's Angel replacement, like way, way down. What? <laughs> I can't give names like you I'm so lost. geeks, but I can I can make connections. We leap we left a TV and I'm so lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the, the natural transition from this one is the thing. The thing? Also Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're all remakes of old sci-fi black classics. And white, sci-fi classics from the fifties and sixties and then remade in the eighties. Okay. And so or again, late seventies. And again, I feel like definitely with the thing, it stands right next to the original. Yeah. Well, I, invasion I, of the body snatchers, not so much. Not so much because not not because the film is bad, but simply it is very very dated now. Mm-hmm. And because the classic is still stronger right. because it's such a tale of cultural paranoia mm-hmm. that it really is really suited to the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and, so, and and it's so strange a mo- uh, a movie to be made in the fifties. Yeah, but but the when thing. it comes to the thing, oh. personally, I I like the nineteen eighty two thing better than the original thing from another thing from another world, right? Thing from not, another world, not thing from another planet. No, thing, thing from, from another, another world. world. And I and, I love them both, but I love yeah. them for different reasons. I rewatched Carpenter's The Thing compulsively. Yeah. Um. But if The Thing from Another World is on, I, I'm like, I will sit and watch this. This is delightful. Yeah, it's 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 a great movie. But but I think Carpenter, for me, Carpenter's The Thing is like pinnacle of filmmaking. Sort oh, of. It's yeah. like one of my top ten of all time. Yes. I, I watch that movie about once a year. Yeah. And I think so, it, it's a I glorious mean, Intellectually, thing. I can say, well, these two are matched. But yeah, Carpenter's The Thing, that's one of my all-time favorite oh, films. Oh, it's amazing. And I know I keep harping on this. I may have done the even harped on this on the podcast before, but the thing I love about Carpenters is that you have an entire cast of characters that are smart. Yes. And they act in smart ways. And when they make mistakes, it's understandable why they would make that mistake. Yeah. So rather than a horror movie that is staffed entirely by stupid characters who get killed in stupid ways. You have smart characters who, who regardless of being smart and doing the right things most of the time, still can't get their, the handle on this fucking thing. Because this thing is so, what are you going to do? And instead of a plot that is predicated, that depends on stupid shit being done. Yeah. On the girl walking alone into the basement. Yeah. Right. Instead you have characters. I mean, MacReady, of all people, MacReady, this drunk, surly, not seemingly very well educated, but he's playing chess at the beginning, but he's clearly not some academic. Well, I think he's 
he's smart in that mechanic sort of way. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he's, is, he's, a, he's, he's not a, some professor. He's yeah. not some elite educated snob. He's not one of the scientists. Right. He's not one of the scientists. He's a helicopter guy. Yeah. yeah. And that's cool that it's not one of the scientists that figures it out. It's the helicopter guy who's like, here's what I've decided. This fucking thing will protect itself at all costs so here's the test i've come up with and how fucking brilliant is that and test? it's brilliant and yeah. the whole scene is just oh it's oh it's so tense and beautiful mm, i love it so much <laughs> but the original film the original film is more your classic 50s monster movie oh yeah absolutely it's, it's the thing creeping around the edges and the slow discovery of what it is and the remake is more a horror movie. Yeah. Because the classic monster movies weren't horror movies. Well, they're, they are horror movies. They're a different breed. Yeah, but they're not... But they're they're not a, a high amp, amplitude, They're not action out. horrors. Yeah. They're not big explosion horrors. They're, yeah. They are more the creeping dread. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's great. And I feel like we've lost the appreciation for those kinds of movies. Yeah. Although the interesting thing is that the remake, the John Carpenter remake, is closer to the original source material yes, than is. the original film. Yeah. Who goes there? Who goes there? The it's idea of stuff. a shapeshifter. Yeah. And and what, what would that mean? That's fucked up, man. That's fucked up. Which goes nicely into um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Of course, in the 70s, they were with the me generation, they were trying to explore I- issues about identity. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? But it just lacks the societal punch mm-hmm. that the original 50s does. Yeah, I, well, of course, well, because, I mean, the 50s, you had McCarthyism. Yeah, McCarthyism and, and, that, and that's the Red what, Scare and, yeah. and, you know, we're so terrified of each other, would we be paying attention enough? And so while I admired the 70s one for picking up on that idea and saying, hey, can we find a way to work this into a 70s mind frame it didn't quite it gel. didn't quite click it didn't quite gel but it and came also, very close oh the mummy that's what because oh, we were talking mummy. about classic you know universal monster movies yeah and of course the mummy with brandon mm-hmm. uh, fraser brandon fraser brendan fraser brendan fraser brendan fraser we'll edit out and, the part where and, i was drunk and rachel wise who is hot 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 yeah where's her career i know right Jeez. Well, because she's over, she's approaching 40 or over it now, so <sighs> she has to wait for 10 years before she's now suitably aged enough to play older women. It's just bullshit. Ah, Hollywood. We could uh, talk. There's a topic mm, for... Yeah. yeah. Older women in Hollywood. Older women and how older women manage their... And fuck you. And anyway, but The Mummy, so you have the original classic, which is this stately epic of tortured history. Yeah. And then you have the remake, which is just a goofy slapstick action film. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, it is a totally dorky movie. It's dorky. I, it's super good fun. I it, mean. It, it is. It is. And I mean, it's just, it's pure popcorn yeah. fare. What, what I find really interesting about The Mummy is how groundbreaking the special effects were at the time. And now you look at him and go, oh. 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 Well, that's going to be the case oh, of so many things. I mean, you go back and you look at the oh, I know. the old monster movies, too. But so yeah. here's another way to take and make a remake successful is just take it someplace so totally different. Right? Yeah. You're never going to match the classic grandeur of the original mummy. Right. 
fuck that. We're going to make an action film. There's an action yeah. film in there. Let's do it. And I don't need it to be grandiose. I don't need to be it to be a classic of the modern era. I want people to munch their popcorns and go, yeah. <laughs> and, and it works. And you made a successful remake. Yay. And then you didn't stop, Stephen Summers. Oh, oh yeah. Uh. Uh. Now, speaking of different tactics, there's a whole trio of original re- remake and remake that are completely different. And? Casino Royale. Yes! Because <laughs> you have the original, which was a made-for-TV movie from 1954, if I remember right. You know more about it than Yeah, I it was like a... Jimmy Bond. With Jimmy Bond, uh, our our, st- our studio audience, which just entered the room, is Monty. Hello, Monty. Monty has joined us briefly. So we have um, the original 1954. It's an hour long. It has Peter Laurie as Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Which is probably the best thing about the film. But the uh, Bond is Jimmy Bond. He's American. Oh, God. Played by Barry Nelson, if I remember right. And uh, it's black and white. It was like an episode of of uh, like a TV series that did play adaptations every week. Oh, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. I remember that. It was, it was uh, very interesting. It doesn't hold any tension whatsoever, but it's a fairly straightforward adaptation of the book in a lot of ways. In and an it and hour? it and it does it does something really interesting in that it it is the only one of the three movies to actually explain Baccarat. <laughs> and it does so in a really interesting way. There's this wonderful scene where Bond is talking to his his fellow spy and they're they're talking in the casino, so they're trying to disguise their their conversation in exchanging information in a description of Baccarat. And it's this wonderful piece of of disguised um i wonder if it's from the book narrative i don't know it's been a long time since i've read well and and of course in the daniel craig they don't even try to play baccarat yeah they they just play texas hold'em it's not even poker it's texas hold'em isn't it i don't know i don't know enough about poker to be able to speak intelligently yeah and and which is like oh man that's i know texas hold'em's a big thing right now but Baccarat is this kind of classy game that normal people don't play, <laughs> and so it elevates. It everything. elevates. Like, oh, this is what James Bond. This would is play. what spies do. They yeah. sit around and they play an elegant version of Go Fish. <laughs> yes, and and uh, yeah, Texas Hold'em doesn't quite have that same mistake. No, not really. No. But in the middle, there's that crazy-ass motherfucking movie, Casino Royale, with five different directors <laughs> and seven different people playing James Bond, including Woody Allen and Ursula Andress playing James Bond. I'm not kidding. Not kidding. What was the David point? David Niven. I know. What was the point? It, it was, the. It was. I think, supposed to be a comedy. Was and it? And it was supposed to be kind of this crazy-ass 1960s... I want to say it was from 1967, and it was made by a lot of people who didn't quite understand the youth generation, but they were angling for it. I, I know. know the young people will like this. It was supposed to be zany, but it had Orson Welles as Le Chief. So zany! Look at us being zany, jazz hands. Yeah, jazz hands. 
Yeah, I'd say the most cohesive out of three of them is is the well, Daniel Craig one, of course. Naturally. Which is a great film overall, and the other two are kind of interesting anecdotes to the James Bond yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a film that just said, yeah, technically it's that story, but we're actually going to do it for real. Back up. What are we talking about now? Okay, let's talk about Clash of the Titans. Okay, let's talk about Clash, Clash, of, the okay, Clash of the Titans. All right. Clash of the Titans. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 the yeah. 80s film... With Harry Hamlin <laughs> as Perseus. Oh, God. And, and Laurence Olivier as Zeus. Yeah. Bringing some serious class to the motherfucker. Yeah. Um, Ursula Andress was, I'm pretty sure she was um, Aphrodite, I think. No, 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 she wasn't Hera. Um, but it had like some, uh, it had like all the actors. Yeah, it, it had a, everybody. Everybody was in that. Thing. Everybody was in this guy. And Harry Housen. And. Burgess Meredith, Burgess and, Meredith and Harryhausen Monsters. I yeah. mean, seriously, this this was a movie that was like, holy fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, seriously, even like, because I was 10, because I think it was 1980. When was this movie? Uh, it was 1981, if I remember right. Anyway, but I was young enough that I didn't understand all of these actors of stature, but everybody was talking about this movie. And then it came out, and it was kind of... It's kind of goofy. It's kind of goofy. It's a little bit... And that I was, fucking owl. I hated the owl, but that was a C-3PO R2-D2. I know. Um, it's a Harryhausen owl in its defense. But in its defense. It was it actually, like the scrappy-doo of Greek mythology. Yeah, and it, it it holds up better than it had any right to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was fun. Well, it holds up mostly to the credit of the really interesting special effects. When I was 11, I was offended by how they were getting all the mythology wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but what it has going for it is an, um, that that pure, very Jason and the Argonauts, very Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, that simple adventure tale. Yeah, pure right? fantasy. Pure fantasy, adventure tale, just go with it. And where the remake just goes fucking wrong and i mean i'm not it's not like harry hamlin set the bar high people. <laughs> seriously but sam worthington here is a man who burst onto the scene and everybody was talking about him and i was even like well okay suddenly he's in he's in the terminator movie he's in this he was doing something else i'm like okay apparently he's a star but every time i watched him he was boring he's so boring there's nothing going on and then in the clash of the titans movie it's all about how he hates the gods Mm -hmm. and i'm like well then excuse me wait why would the gods be helping him and 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 he resents the gods so he's trying to strike a blow against the gods i'm like who thought this was a good idea this is you don't add a deep meaningful philosophical question to the movie clash of the titans you assholes mm-hmm. you make an adventure tale <laughs> and it was just oh it's just so much to hate <laughs> it just squeezes out like a turd and it goes plop and just lays there i also heard that it had one of the most one of the worst 3d conversions ever oh it was murky it was murky as fuck. Well, beyond that, they didn't do it right. So you had like heads floating in front of bodies and hair <laughs> that was recessed into the background. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... That's kind of awesome. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. That's good. So yeah, Clash of the Titans. 
wasn't a great movie to begin with, so I was kind of like, you could make a decent remake out oh, of that. Oh, totally, totally. There Especially were with the possibilities. New, with the new special effects. Just go for the hero, right? The total story of Perseus and his defeat of the Kraken mm-hmm. to save Andromeda. Fuck yeah, that's an epic tale, motherfuckers. Yeah, I'd be sold on that. But no. no. Rollerball. Again, much like Clash yeah. of the Titans, the original film... There's room for improvement. Yeah, but oh man, I do like the original film a lot. I like the original yeah, film a lot. That's an the, interesting movie. That's a very 1970s sci-fi movie. Yeah, but there there are things you could do with that. Well, yeah. But instead they just try to make it this modern X Games remake. Well, yeah, and it's what? like, what the fuck happened to John McTiernan? There's a, yeah, I mean. Yeah, this is the guy who made Die Hard. And. This is what you thought was a good idea? Rollerball was so bad that my neuron... I have seen this movie, but my neurons strangled themselves and I have absolutely no memory of that movie except the fact that it was bad. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, the remake captured more of the insanity of Roll Doll, but it did it in a really unlikable way. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing I actually liked about the remake is they set Danny Elfman loose with the original lyrics of the songs for the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. That part was okay, but it was that kitchen sink mentality of, ooh, we need to make it crazy. Let's make it crazy. And after a while, you're just like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Yeah, and then there's a backstory for Wonka, and it's just... What? Mm, no, 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 so, so I think we need to start going into things that are good remakes. Yes. I, let's, start, let's start with Magnificent Seven. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So are we allowing remakes of foreigns? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so those, just... those are remakes. I mean... And, okay. Well, before and... we were talking about just remakes in the same But it's a movie to culture. a movie. It's a movie to a movie. In the same culture. Because yeah. there is something very different about taking a foreign film and adapting it. Well, and true. And often I feel like... But it's still a movie to a movie. It's like, not It's not the same as going, crossing completely different mediums. Like, let let the right one in. Yeah. And then, let, like, literally two years later, they're remaking it in America. And I'm like, or you could just watch the original. But let's be you, honest. Have, Ameri- you, have you seen them both? The, the remake is solid. They're both brilliant. They are They're so They're both good. brilliant. And, and that just floored me. Yeah, and so I can't... So part of me is like offended. Why would you remake something that recent? Just fucking pony it up and man up, America. Fucking yeah. watch a foreign film, you yeah. assholes. On the other hand, the American remake is super good. It's really good. And, and the American remake actually fixes... A couple of the flaws of the original movie, like there, it it focuses more tightly on on the relationship between the the two kids, and it has less tangents outside of that. And, well, and, also, and by bringing it in and making it super focused, I think it makes it a stronger film. Well, and there is simply the reality of because it's no because it is now couched in terms of my culture it is more accessible because watching let the right one in you are very aware that this is a culture that you are not familiar with right and and there are, i mean when i originally heard that there was going to be an american remake i went oh no this is going to be shitty because a major component of the original one is child sexuality yeah and i was like how are you going to do that in america oh no but they they pulled it off. They pulled it off. 
And it was amazing. And that's what's so great is like, yay, you did actually take a great foreign film and you made a great American version yeah. of it. Although it still didn't do well at the box office. Yeah, which is sad. But it, it you guys, go watch it. But uh, it also, it has probably, the remake has probably the best car, in like inside the car, car crash sequence I have ever seen. Uh, when I saw that movie for the first time at Fantastic Fest, when that car crash sequence uh-huh. came up, spontaneous applause. It's, the entire well, it's theater. so visceral. It was, it was amazing. Well, and then the Wachowskis did something very similar to that in Cloud Atlas. Yeah. When she goes off the bridge. Yeah. Where you're you're living that that crazy fall weightlessness, where did the world go sort of feeling. Yeah. Very well done. Oh, yeah. But you, but we were going to talk about Magnificent Seven. Yeah, we need Yay! to talk about Magnificent Seven. You know, speaking of foreign foreign to American remakes. Yeah, it's interesting to me that the original Seven Samurai is something that was made because Akira Kurosawa looked at Westerns and said, hey, I want to do that. Let's make it set in feudal Japan. And then it gets taken back by American producers <laughs> by making it into, into a, a Western. Western. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so many of the Westerns were Kurosawa films. Yeah. All of the spaghetti Well, well, Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars more were uh, Yojimbo and Sanjiro. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, clearly Kurosawa was feeling his Westernness and and the Western Western directors, directors in the West who were also directors of Westerns. But it's interesting that Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars more were taken over by the Italians. Yes. (laughs) We're still the West. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's West. It's European- Ish. Well, it's spaghetti it, westerns. Spaghetti. Now I want spaghetti. I know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's so Magnificent Seven and Seven Samurai are. Well, there have been many remakes of Seven Samurai. Yeah. You have Bugs Life. Yeah. And you have uh, uh, Battle Me on the Stars mm-hmm. is a remake of of Seven Samurai. But I think but, we can but, all agree yeah. that this is another case of Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven are two films. I mean, honestly, this is what Gus Van Sant should have tried to do. Oh, like a direct remake of Seven Samurai. Well, but more that idea of Magnificent Seven is a direct remake. Beat for beat. Almost. But they... eh, Kind of. I mean, I've watched watched both of them back to back. The characters are the same. No, they aren't. There are some characters that are kind of combined into each other and then there's one new character that's oh yeah yeah they they played a little they they did a little bit but of i mean honestly if you if you don't do a if you don't do an in-depth analysis you're right. like this is the same fucking film well it is it is and they're both brilliant yeah they're a lot of fun and so gus van sant with his psycho remake it's like maybe you should have gone and watched these two films asshole and figured out that this is how you do a direct remake where mm-hmm. You are not paying homage. You are not expanding. You are not trying something new with it. You're just remaking the goddamn film, but you're doing it incredibly well. But the thing is, they are doing something new. I mean, the original one is, you know, regardless of influences, it is a feudal Japan movie. And it's this three hour long epic that is the first modern action movie. And Magnificent Seven is going, hey, that would make a great Western. And, and I don't know. I still feel like they're the same damn movie. <laughs> because when I watch them, I have the same feelings. Mm-hmm. 
they're they are quite different. I, I watched them back to back pretty recently, but they're they're both really exhilarating, wonderful films. Yes, yes. Ah, okay. we're gonna have for any of you who have not seen Seven Samurai. Good God, people, go watch it. And if you haven't watched yep. The Magnificent Seven, you'll fucking Brenner and James oh, yeah. Coburn and everybody. How, who else is in that? And, and after you're done watching Magnificent Seven, look up the really terrible trailers that they made for it. Oh, my God. Seven, 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 seven. the Magnificent Seven. And then they all walk into a formation of a seven. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link that in the show notes. We'll link it. We'll link it. So speaking of westerns, we have True Grit, and that that is a very faithful remake. Very faithful, and although I think the remake bests the original in that I think it handles the female character much much, much better. better. I mean, and that's really what you can do yeah. because we're no longer in the '60s; we're yeah. in the you know post two thousand generation to where we can fully allow a female, a strong female character to happen. Yeah. And and she is delightful. She's fantastic. You, you get that that character in the hands of the Cohen brothers, and it just explodes off the screen. And of course, they're working and, with one of their favorites, Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges is a delight. And he's just I mean, chewing things up left and right. He, he's shoring uh, John Wayne, but holy shit, Jeff Bridges is great. And Matt Damon. And Matt Damon is a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Oh, that's uh, such a fun cast oh and a God. great script. And it got totally overlooked. Yeah, well, I don't it, think it, it did it, that well at the box office. Not, not quite, but it uh, did well with Oscars. It did, yeah. I love, God, I really love that, and I liked the original a lot. But yeah, there was something. This was a film that truly did benefit from my sensibilities in making it a little bit more modern. In that I connected a little tighter with it because I liked the original, mm-hmm. but I loved the remake, and they're basically the exact same film except tighter, more crafted yeah, to I th- my I think the characters in general are are written better. They're just clarified. The yeah. Well, I mean, cuz the original was more just that, you know, hey, let's do a western Yeah. a western drama with a crotchety old John Wayne. With a crotchety old John Wayne, which is a delightful thing. Yeah. Right? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch. The Departed is a great remake of a Japanese film. Yeah. Into one is that Scorsese? It is Scorsese. Oh my god, such a brilliant film! Mm-hmm. So meaty and just oh, you just oh, so much, and you just the characters and you want to eat them and hit them and <laughs> fuck them and oh, it's just so good. You want to fuck all the characters and depart? Seriously, they're all just so they're so developed and. And the conflict is so great, and and again, the everybody was like, "Why are you touching this classic?" Because yeah. because the depart the Japanese, the Departed, yeah, in the Infernal Affairs, Infernal yeah. Affairs was thank you because I'm like, Wait, it, it's it, great, it's fantastic, and oh, and yeah, why would you touch this film? Well, hi, I'm I'm Martin Scorsese, and <laughs> I think I can take this quintessentially Japanese film and make it a quintessentially American film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you have to do is you have to take it and go and shift the cultures, but keep the story. Well, he, he saw an opportunity with that story going, Oh, 
I have an angle. Yeah, the, which is, which is what we were talking about I mean, earlier. But there, he had an angle, and which he knew is where to take where that. this was about this particular culture. I'm going to make it about Boston, yeah, crime slash cop, mm-hmm. right? That whole weird dichotomy in the Boston Irish culture, right, right. And and so you have to have that angle, and you have to. And I think the best, I don't know, maybe the best adaptations are ones. That don't try to change the story, but they try to change the context, Mm -hmm. right? The story stays the same, but I'm giving you a context that makes more sense for you or is a little bit closer to you or is at least just different enough that it's fresh. Well, yeah. I I mean, going back to the Seven Samurai remakes, I mean, Battle Beyond the Stars for as trashy fun as it is, you know, it's still... It's the core of the uh, the Seven Samurai setup of the we're building a team plot and then setting it in outer space. And of course it works. Of course it works. And that's a great angle to take it. Well, it's just, it's such a great story. It doesn't matter where you put it. Right. Footloose. Footloose. Okay, you have to talk about Footloose. I haven't seen the remake. Okay, and this is one of my underappreciated films recommendations coming up. It may have already posted on the website by the time this podcast airs. (laughs) The remake of Footloose is, in many ways, a better crafted film in terms of the characters and the conflicts and how they play out. It is much less cartoony, right? Because let's face it, the original 80s film, there's a cartooniness of, you can't dance in this town. (laughs) (laughs) What? the simplicity of some 80s films yeah and it's very simple now that said when you rewatch the 80s film first off john lithgow and diane wiest yeah are you fucking kidding me Mm -hmm. and they bring so much just delicate work to it and there's really lovely things like when they have the book burning and john lithgow is forced to confront this is the culture that i have created what do i feel how do i feel about this you know, so there's a lot going for the original 80s film, not least of which is Kevin Bacon. But the biggest detriment to the 80s film is fucking Laurie Singer. Yeah. Yeah. She's a terrible actress. She's And she's so physically awkward that in a dance movie, the last thing I want to do is watch that girl dance because she just... Bleh. So what the new movie has going for it... You don't have as charismatic a lead as Kevin Bacon. How do you... You can't. You can't. Yeah. You you don't get anybody as as charismatic as Kevin Bacon without getting bacon. Yeah. I think his name is Kenny Womack, and he's decent. He's a fantastic... He's a fantastic dancer. So, you know what? You just sort of accept the fact that he's not as charismatic, but he's got a better crafted role in that his mother is not there with him. He was a, his mother died mm-hmm. and he was the one caretaking his mother through the last stages of a debilitating disease and his father bailed. Huh. And once his mother died, he had to go to his uncle. Okay. And his uncle isn't this asshole like in the 80s film. He's very sympathetic. Huh. And he, he's a good old boy redneck who also is like, kid, you're cool. It's fine. And so he's on his side. So that whole relationship is a lot richer and the the angst of that main character is a lot deeper because the tragedy isn't oh we had to move in but my mom's still here with me the tragedy is i lived through my mother Mm -hmm. dying you fucking assholes there is nothing you can bring against me 
that can be as bad as that, which means I can stand up to you. And so there's a lot more weight. And then you can't top John Lithgow, but what you can do is bring in Dennis fucking Quaid as the priest. And he's, oh, he's wonderful. He's so complex. He's so likable and warm and tormented. (laughs) And then instead of Laurie Singer, you get um, Julianne Hough. Oh, nice. She's a great dancer. She's beautiful. She's got a lot of natural charisma. And her conflict is so much more believable because it's being delivered so with such a fine edge of both anger and desperation. It's it's a great remake. Mm, It's a fantastic remake. And I love the original because how do you not love the original? But the remake is so good. So as far as uh, movies that are improving upon their original source material, Insomnia. Oh. Now, Insomnia, which was, uh, the the original film was what, Swedish? It was Scandinavian. It was some sort of cold north country. Scandinavian movie of, of some sort. And I remember seeing it going, yeah, it's good, but I... It's really, very, but it's very Scandinavian. It's very, very well. Cold. It's I've very seen cold. plenty of Scandinavian movies, and there's something super distancing about the original Insomnia. There is, I, but and, I remember even then and, and I, the concept. And there's of, something really repulsive about the main character. Not just unlikable, but there was something really impul- repulsive about his character. And I can't remember what it was. I just remember really not. And not that every single main character has to be likable. Believe me, I of all people understand that. But, oh, there, there was something I did not like at all about the original Insomnia. And the the American remake, the Christopher Nolan remake, was a really masterful movie. Yeah, and it put Christopher Nolan on the map. Yeah, it put it made Christopher... Me stand up, it, made, it perked my ears up of, oh, Ooh. oh. Because you took everything that I really liked about the original and you distilled it into something a little bit tighter. And added a little bit more to it, too, if yeah. I remember right. And, it, and it, Hilary Swank's character is interesting. Yeah. And, um, God, it was Robin Williams playing the villain, right? Confirm. What I love, yeah, Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Yeah. The original was Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, so I, and I love Stellan Skarsgård. But there was something about the way that that character was written that is like, mm. well, yeah. Um, but I loved the concept of tying the you know the white knights of yeah. of the extreme northern latitudes with insomnia and the way that twists your brain and mm-hmm. the psycho killerness of it all. It's like yeah. that just that whole environment was like, oh, this is delicious. Yeah. But it's still not really clicking. Thank you, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, there the the way Christopher Nolan engineers the feeling of being sleep deprived yeah. into the movie is just masterful. And well, it's a combination of Christopher Nolan's direction and Pacino's performance, which is amazing too. That that really bring home the fact that. This character is just being dissolved by the fact that he can't get any sleep. The Ring and the Grudge, both, again, are films that benefit from, you know what? 
making this American works. Mm-hmm. Although the ring, the the Japanese one is a really strong. Oh, it's film. great, but yeah. the the remake is also yeah. equally yeah, strong. Yeah, the the uh, Gore Verbinski, for as um, uneven as his output has been since then, Gore Verbinski's The Ring is one of those really great horror movies that I can't figure out why it works. But it fucking does. It fucking does. It, it is super effective. It's, it's an amazingly effective movie. And it it never once looks like it's going to be a super effective horror movie, which I think is part of its effectiveness, it, oddly well, enough. I've, it, well, it, I mean, it, there's it never... something about that Japanese horror. What The reason why I think it's super effective, and The Grudge less so, but still very still tapping into it, is there's something about that Japanese horror that is so union that that the what the ring did right is just capture that vibe and say we're not going to fuck with that because there's something eminently creepy about that. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think even beyond that, Gore Verbinski's The Ring, um, it is filmed very conventionally and usually. When I see something that's truly groundbreaking horror, it is going out of its way to be a truly groundbreaking film. And it is filmed in a very conventional way. Yeah, but but but, but Gore Verbinski's direction never belays that it is doing something masterful. There is something so perfectly timed about it that you can't tell that it is masterfully timed. Well, I, it it, it he is keeps out of the way. Yeah. He keeps his direction out of the way yeah. of a story that is really effective. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing that makes the original Pirates of the Caribbean movie work. Mm. Is is that you go in there expecting it to be a completely conventional film and it is not. And there, there is nothing that really tips you off to it being an unconventional film. But it it's it just gets in there. It's just twisted slightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the the ring, the American, the ring. You're right. It's very conventional, but the almost Cthulhu esque touches of creeping dread, yeah. of unnamed horror, of lurking, of something that lurks beneath the world that we know mm-hmm. that is that is out to get us, and we just better watch our fucking step. And I think we, and that's why I call it union, is we all have that sort of sense that when the lights go out, sometimes there's something in the dark that is actually mm-hmm. after us. Yeah. And so for as conventional as it is, he also keeps it simple and gets out of the way of just, I'm going to present this matter-of-factly and let the sheer horror of it do the rest. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's masterful piece of filmmaking. It's really amazing. And it gave me nightmares for years. <laughs> oh God, I, I I went to see The Ring for the first time in the theater with Christopher Danger Jones Esquire, and um, <laughs> he and I we we were in a practically empty theater watching this movie because we saw it second run and I'm watching it and about you know two thirds of the way through when the twist happens when the kid looks at her goes. You weren't supposed to blank. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And I just started laughing. It's like, oh, this is amazing. 
amazing. And I'm just laughing out loud because I am I am so not used to watching a horror film and being surprised by it because I am such a voracious well, because movie you, watcher. You know the especially tropes so well. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh, what just oh, happened? Oh my God, this is delightful. I know, and that this moment, that moment sends chills down your spine of, what? Oh, this is gonna get <gasps> fucked oh, up. Oh, I thought this was over. Oh man, we're in for another act. I'm so happy. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. And then I got home and go, oh shit, there's a TV there. Okay, so shout out briefly, 310 to Yuma. Oh yeah, 310 to Yuma is lovely. It's great. Again, yeah. a a remake that stands right up there yeah. with the original. Both of them are fantastic. Yeah. 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 Like equally, equally fantastic. Yeah. I I I couldn't pick. I mean, yeah. the only reason I might pick the more modern one is just it's edited more towards modern sensibilities. Oh, but yeah. And, even... and Russell Crowe's pretty decent. And, and Oh, and Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, no, it's good. But the original one, I think, has this amazing panache to it, mm. whereas the remake is a little bit more conventional. The, the, the original has more panache. The remake is more like, we're going to be gritty. Yeah. We're yeah. Be gritty. They're both... Fantastic, but films. they're super duper film. Yeah, yes. So three ten to Yuma. If you have not, because I feel like three ten to Yuma. Everybody talked about it, but nobody went to it. I know, right? And yeah, I really liked that movie. I did too. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. I concur. I concur. I concur. So let's talk about we twelve fucking monkeys. We are wrapping it up now, dear listeners. Fucking monkeys. Twelve. Fucking monkeys. Have you ever seen the original La Jetée? Yes, because Cinema Rex showed it. Yeah, and it's like 12 minutes long, right? It's 12 minutes long? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, okay, so La Jetée, for those who have not seen it, is a kind of a French art film. Well, it is definitively French. It's very French. It's not kind of French. It's very it's French. It's really French. But it's it's constructed entirely out of still photos and a narration piece. And do you know what La Jetée means? I don't remember. It means the jump. Ah, that makes or sense. Or the leap. Yeah. Because a jeté is ballet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a grand jeté is a big jump or a big leap. Okay. So la jeté is all about the leap. And it's like, well, that makes fucking sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's this very simply made, it, it's a complex concept, very simply made. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, in my teacher days, we used to talk about... This sort of, uh, not pendulum, but fulcrum, teeter-totter, right? I think of it as teeter-totter of if the concept was complex, your delivery of of the concept had to be very, very simple. Right. And the master of that is James Cameron. Yeah. If the... But if you were trying to teach a complex process, then whatever it was that was the content had to be very simple. Yeah. So you didn't try to do something super complex on both ends. Right. Right. You had to do that. So here's this 12-minute film, 12 minutes, Mm -hmm. that is delivering a hugely complex concept. So the delivery is very simple, very Mm -hmm. clear-cut, very cut-and-dried. Delicious. Yes. And, then, and it's black and white. Yeah, it's black and white. Which and... I love. I love a black and white film. I don't know why, but I do. And I think it's on Hulu right now. It might be. You can, I don't know. You can, you can see it pretty easily nowadays. And it's 12 minutes to yeah, invest. Yeah, 12 just, minutes. Just play it. Seriously, you could watch that while you're pooping. Yeah. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile...
Terry Gilliam remade it. Am I the only one who put, I am not the only one who takes their iPhone in to the bathroom. No. I am not. No. So you all can like be, what? But we know the truth. Just take your headphones with you so the person in the next stall doesn't be all like, what? See, I'm not that addicted. (laughs) What? (laughs) See, headphones is like next level. Uh, I I don't know that I'd watch a video in the stall at work. I would definitely do it at home. Yeah. Okay, now we're learning about my pooping and iPhone habits. We all poop. The Venn diagram of pooping and iPhones. We all poop, Wendy. Everybody poops. Everybody poops with their iPhone. (laughs) It's true. This is the modern reality. Everybody poops with their iPhone. (laughs) So... The remake of La Jetée. <laughs> the remake of La Jetée. Is 12 Monkeys. Is 12 Monkeys because it's all about those leaps backward in time. Yeah. And um, Terry oh, Gilliam. And Terry Gilliam, who is the perfect director for that. Oh, because, God. Yeah, because it's, it's this weird clockwork of fantasy almost. Yeah, and the more you watch it, the more the pieces fall together, but it's still ambiguous. I feel mm-hmm. like what Terry, Terry Gilliam does really well is he introduces the ambiguous in a way that doesn't piss you off. Because let's be honest, the ambiguous fucking pisses you off. But, so, yeah. so 12 anyway. Monkeys, I think the way Terry Gilliam really makes the ambiguous work is that he always makes you believe you're in a larger world than what you're seeing. Yeah. there, There's something about his delivery in that he crafts entire worlds where you believe they extend beyond the frames and so of the what you're seeing. And so the fact that you don't exactly know what's going on is okay yeah. because we always live like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. And there, there's something very natural about the way Terry Gilliam delivers that. And it works perfectly for 12 Monkeys because you've got this near future sort of scenario that he delivers 100%. And oh, Brad Pitt. That was the Brad movie. Pitt. Yeah. That was the that movie was the where real... I went, you can act. Yeah. I mean, everybody was talking about Brad Pitt, the star. And I'm like, I'm not sold yet. Yeah. All, so far, he's just a pretty face. Yeah. And that, that was the movie where everybody went, oh, Brad Pitt is a character actor in a leading man's body. Yes. And that poor man. That poor man. Oh, oh also he is. Snatch. Oh, oh, he's so good in he's Snatch. He's so good in Snatch. And he's so funny. I wish he got mm-hmm. more comedic roles. Yeah. Like, he's the he's the best part of Ocean's Eleven. It, yeah. He's so dry. Yeah. He's so dry. Actually, Don Cheadle's pretty great, too. Oh, Don Cheadle. Yeah. I, well, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and George Clooney. It's the it's the alchemy of Ocean's Eleven, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, right? yeah. That's, that's a lovely forge to hammer upon. It is. I will hammer all of those. Mm-hmm. Forges. Mm. <laughs> I believe we have lost our focus. Do that. Okay, so listeners, we have now finished talking about our remakes um, in our typical freewheeling, long-ranging style. So I hope you kept up. <laughs> but now it's time for listener questions. Have you answered our listener questions? If you have not, you should. And then we will talk about you on the air, which who doesn't want that? Right? Okay, so we I have I got we one. have a listener. Yeah. Melissa, you are embodying our listener. I am. Who are you? Noel Thingval. That is a great last name. I know. Great. He's local, too. I just saw him today. Okay. Yeah. Hey, hey, Noel, what do you do? 
personal care attendant, also co-host and producer of the podcasts I Hate Slash Love Remakes, Masters of Carpentry, and the Monthly Midnight Movie Exchange. Those sound like excellent podcasts. No, Masters I feel of- like I feel like maybe our listeners might enjoy one or two of those. Yeah, I will definitely link them in our show notes. That is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Hey, Noel, what is in your dream pleasure dome? Dystopian rock operas. Yes! Oh, yeah! Phantom yeah! of the Paradise! Yes! Yeah! Anime movies released on VHS in the 80s in highly censored dubs by all the same three people. <laughs> <laughs> also, Akira Kurosawa. I can yes. get behind that. Yes. Uh, Sam Peckinpah. Also, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Don the Dragon Wilson. Oh. Oh. Yes. Val Luton. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. okay. Uh, Howard Hawks. Yes. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. The first Care Bears movie. Wait. What? Okay. Uh, <laughs> and everything remade every 25 years because remakes. Yay. See? See? Remakes. This all yay. works. Remakes. It, yay. There is a certain truth to, you know what? It's been long enough. Let's revisit this in light of our new eyes. That said, if it's a classic, you better bring your A game, you asshole. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so, okay. Noel, give us a Pleasure Dome recommendation. Silent movies. I was tempted to say remakes, but that would be the obvious route. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and if you have not enjoyed silent movies, you are missing out. Oh, yeah. Now, that said... Part of the joy of silent movies is you can fast forward through them without missing a whole lot. Oh, windy. I'm sorry, Nosferatu took forever. I'll agree with that. But uh, speaking of which, the Herzog Nosferatu remake, really good. Okay, good to know. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. All right, listeners, this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been windy. That has been Melissa. And we have been drinking... Indue, and it was a delicious red wine, yes. and I hope whatever you were drinking was just as wonderful in your mouth. Wait. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown, and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at XanaduCinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. gonna drop that and leave it there and walk away yeah yeah yeah. we're done done. and boop done (laughs) done (laughs) oh man